1: Another exciting week to talk about with take two. We have Mara Carabello from the Xoro Group and John Frugal Dougal. I can't not call you just John Dougal now that you told me you're Frugal It's perfectly
2: fine. It's been Frugal Dougal my whole life.
1: You really have been a petty pincher your whole life?
2: Actually, Frugal Dougal was my dad before I was even born. Okay, so I'm this the, is a. I'm the oldest genetic. of 11 kids. Frugal is all I ever knew growing up.
1: I feel you. Did you guys sew your own underwear and swimsuits? <laughs> we did um, at my house. Everything.
2: Yeah, not quite that far, but hey, you didn't let it wear out. You didn't let it break. It was you were going to have it for life.
1: The good old days. Now they don't even make anything like that, Mara. You know, don't you feel like it's you're replacing true. something that cost a billion dollars and you got to get another one? Right, Lame. Right. All right, there is a lot to talk about this week. I want to start with the legislature this time. And um, are they in session? They are in session. I've heard sources close to me. There's a lot of people watching. Two around. more weeks. Almost there. So uh, the abortion bill was being heard last night, and they apparently had to move rooms because there were that many people that wanted to talk about it. They were in a larger room. And uh, this is Senator McKay's bill. Uh, He's making waves with this. Um, Mara, when you look at this, is there something important that can be done here by Republicans? This is something that both sides feel very strongly in their hearts. So it's obviously a topic that people care about. Is it just a message, Bill, or is there actual change that could be affected by this?
0: So I'm a little spirited about this topic this week, partly because— Just this week? Just this, just this one time. <laughs> She's spirited every week. <laughs> just this one moment. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, my short answer is this is a message, Bill, start to finish. And so I, I keep looking at it from three frameworks, and one is where you presented merit. Does this have Merit. On face, it doesn't, and frankly, because it relies on a change in the Supreme Court, this has as much merit as m- me wanting to assert that we change um, and I, I propose a law about gun ownership once the Second Amendment is is rolled back and redefined from where it was defined in the the nineties. So you, you, there's not merit to a bill. That requires the Supreme Court to change, and so this is n- soup to nuts a message bear bill, but there are two other problems with this entire process with mcgay 's bill, and one is and i 'm wading into deep water here i 'm um, wading into the issues of morality and religiosity and um, and and one of the things I want to say about morality is that often in the social contract of the world, laws frame up moral social contracts we have with each other. But when you move too far off of the broad held, you move into usually religiosity about these moral issues. This bill has strong underpinnings of religion, and and I think most of us believe strongly in separating religion um, from church and state, and I think there's merit, there's long-held merits to that. And I think while there's certainly some... Broadly held underpinnings. There's there's Christians and moralists and um, and and um, people on both sides of the spectrum. And this feels very much like it's entering the religiosity category and away from public good. The third reason that this deeply offends me personally is the sexism attached to it, and really the premise of these kinds of abortion bills are that women need to be told what to do with their own bodies and that we somehow don't have the intuitive empathy even though whether you believe in a god or whether you believe in a natural force somehow that force she's given us the power to give birth but apparently according to the laws of the land we don't have the same authority or or ability to dictate what should be done with our bodies and i think these move into harmful categories we've seen bills this year that talk about unnecessary procedures relating to abortions that women would have to have inflicted upon them. And the preponderance of um, message bills in this category this year I think have, have reached this epic level. And I ask myself, does this bill have merit in law? This one doesn't. Um, is it suiting the common moral framework that is a social contract, or has it moved on to religiosity? And and again, is it fundamentally not respecting Uh, women, their bodies, their choices, and their deep and empathetic choice. I think if you listen to the dialogue from Senator McKay, frankly, I would say yes, this comes from someone who has never had hormones and certainly never carried a child, certainly does not pay any honor to the complexity that you listen to with healthcare professionals. So what you don't see me speak of right now is whether I'm for or against abortion, because I don't even think it rose to the merit of that conversation.
1: So Mara talks a lot about, John, about social contracts. And I think if you were to talk to uh, Senator McKay, who's running this bill, he would say that in the social contract the killing a child or a baby that you're carrying goes against that social contract. So does that go against Mara's argument, or is, well, is it just a message bill, like she said, and we should probably just leave this at the federal level, let the Supreme Court take care of
2: it? No, I don't think this is a message bill as described. I mean, the fundamental purpose we create government is to protect life. And this is the most fundamental question when it comes to life. And what is the role of the government when it comes to the unborn? And that is a fundamental question, and that goes to the societal contract discussion. Now, one of the other things I'd like to bring up is who really launched this push of this kind of initiative? It wasn't Senator McKay. It was Councilwoman McKay, Dan's wife. She was the one that launched the effort in Riverton City so to say that it's a man pushing this agenda I would disagree with since it was actually Tony McKay that really started driving this current push this current initiative there's men and women both You think there's this. merit
0: in proffering a bill that requires the Supreme Court to make a decision? Because if that's true, then let's talk about the Second Amendment. I'm just taking issue. A, a you said this was pro, men
2: dictating to women. And i to just remind you listen to Senator you,
0: McKay, his remarks are fundamentally sexist.
2: But when you so look I've, at where this I'm started. I'm holding him
0: accountable as an elected official, and I can judge his remarks. And Senator McKay said things that are fundamentally misunderstanding reproduction okay. and the responsibility. Of women.
2: I just want to remind you where this started with Tani McKay. I'm holding Senator McKay responsible. I want to come back. Mara, when you talk about social contracts and we talk about the role of government and protecting life, where is that role? And okay, there's a certain message to this bill, but part of the message comes when you look nationwide, you look at some of where folks are driving on the other side when it comes to abortion and where they want to allow it to go. And clearly there's a reaction as a result on each side is reacting to the other side. But this comes to that fundamental question. What is the role of government, and especially when it comes to protecting life, for those that aren't yet born, right? I mean, this that is also though themselves. from
0: lawmakers are still supporting supporting um, capital punishment. So I, I don't find a lot of merit to a Republican who, not you, I'm not. That's not so directed at you, but I'm not finding merit to the the preponderance of Republicans who are supporting, um, you know, capital penalties and suggesting that the sanctity of life be the most for them. And I don't think the fundamental question of government is uh, how they interfere with my life and death choices. To be frank, I think. For for me, and I, I, ironically, I'm taking, I think, more the con- traditional conservative side here. I think I would like to look at um, those in need and the fundamental structures like transportation, water, and infrastructure needs. I would put that higher on the list than, than the state making my moral choices for me.
2: Now, part of the other dynamic that comes into play is clearly at the federal level, what is the Supreme Court going to do? Is it going to roll back Roe v. Wade? That's clearly a question at the federal level. One thing I'd also like to highlight is at least in Utah, it looks like the number of abortions is declining, has been declining for decades now, which at least from my perspective is a good trajectory.
0: There's nobody well, who doesn't no think that's terrific. And yeah. again, I think some of the misnomer is that somehow women use abortion as, uh, you know, birth control. And I think that's a ludicrous notion. And I think that that health of females is something we share in common, right? I mean, health of women and the fact that there is a reduction um, in uh, abortions is really important, and I think what we know of the statistics is that's a lot around planned pregnancies and a lot around but larger health care issues for women.
1: Well, I think this conversation shows why the room was packed Exactly, last night. Everyone feels sure. so strongly, and it's obviously part of the national conversation, too. I've heard several interviews with Pete Buttigieg where he's been talking about late-term abortions and women's rights in that regard too. So I think there is probably more of this conversation to be had before November. So, and I think it's an important one. Uh, Utah bigamy law change. Get yourself a couple extra wives, husbands if you want, Mara. So um, I want to talk about whether this is a good idea. what what are your
2: plans? (laughs) What are your plans? (laughs) It's right here just between (laughs) us. What are your plans?
1: I think this would probably be offensive to the polygamous families who are up on the hill. Most of them up there are in adult consensual relationships where this is a big deal for them where they won't be federally prosecuted and now it's probably like getting a traffic ticket, being a polygamist. The worry comes when you look at the Warren Jeffs of the world and little girls forced into polygamy. And I don't want to offend anyone, but I can only think of myself thinking polygamy is a good idea. If I could get a cleaning wife, I don't know, like a pack my suitcases. If we wife, can choose the wife. <laughs> and I'm just the fun wife. Sign <laughs> me up for that. So, Mara, is this a good thing for the state to do decriminalize or is this a move in the wrong direction? So,
0: you know, this has merit on both sides. I should say that I, 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 I land somewhere um, in the middle. I think for me. Way to ride that fence. I, woo, <laughs> I'm firmly in the nothing. No, I think where I land down uh, at the end of the day is uh, two things. One, I don't think this uh, tolerance of polygamy has really served us well for our images over the years, and it's something we fought against, so I think we should take a normalized, firm position against polygamy, just as generally not the best family unit. So uh, one is this historic look at, at, at the tolerance of this activity. Secondly, um, I hear what people are saying about consensual r- relationships, but I also agree completely with the body that says these laws, because we don't enforce polygamy on a Day to day level, I think these laws uh, and them staying harsh really protects again against sexual violence and domestic violence. And so, at the end of the day, I think I'm not in favor of loosening the polygamy. All
1: right, John. I let Mara go first twice in row. Sorry so about true. that. No, no Fine worries. Now. Ladies so, first. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about this. Is this a good idea? I mean, we couldn't become a state because we were having problems with polygamy, but now we're a state. We can do what we want.
2: Uh, Well, I think from my perspective, uh, it's a step in the right direction. I mean, we are not talking about children. We're not talking about crimes that come with that. What we're trying to say is, basically, if you're adults in a consenting relationship that's polygamous, it's an infraction. It's not a misdemeanor. It's not a felony. It's an infraction. It's my understanding. So we're not talking about underage, teenage brides or any of that type of stuff. That is still illegal, heavy penalties when it comes to that. And, And as I've described in the past... I mean, I dealt with a situation where a, a young girl, she was probably 16, um, lived in a polygamous community, and somebody came from a different part of the state, and they met online, he came, he raped her, he fled the state, and law enforcement didn't want to do anything because she lived in that community. I mean, it was which is so insane, which is crazy, crazy from my perspective. It doesn't matter what kind of community you live in; you should have that protection, and that's where the government failed in that case, from my perspective. And so, being able to bring this into the light of day, to be able to make sure that there's opportunities for protection, for safety, for health, for education purposes, you're not hiding in the shadows. I think that in the long term, is a good thing.
0: But the rape thing isn't a consenting relationship. I mean, I think it's it's interesting, though, that we want to normalize a little bit of polygamy. That seems odd odd to me. Well, it's
2: odd to me that we'll say, hey, if this is a non-quote-unquote marriage relationship, you just want to have all these flings, hey, that's perfectly fine. But if you have some longer-term commitment, then we're going to criminalize that. Uh, You know, if we're going to criminalize anybody having an affair or anybody having multiple relationships with multiple... There's a lot of swingers
1: clubs here in Utah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about that, that's a whole different matter. But we're saying it's perfectly fine here. But over here, just because you're in a more committed relationship we're going to make heavy penalties for that i i question so your i purpose. still think
0: we have some antiquated laws that talk about you know adultery and talk about partnerships and all those um, variations on long-term relationships so what i hear you saying is it's also fair game to like throw out some of those antiquated laws about anything dealing with consenting adults essentially what we would say is you know what y'all are two grown-ups you can do your thing
2: that's in essence where i think society's moving
0: love
1: is love everybody um, big, oh, love. Big, big, love, big love, big love, big love, yes. Uh, that show was coming out when I moved to Florida years ago, and that created so many questions moving from you, Tom. <laughs> Anyhow, we got over it. Legislature saying no to background checks that Salt Lake County wants to put in place. Jenny Wilson um, decided that when the gun shows were coming into town, they would have background checks, and now the legislature is saying you can't do this. John, you get a second turn first. Should the state really make the rules here, or can different jurisdictions, cities, or counties make their own rules on this?
2: Well, cities and counties are political subdivisions of the state, so ultimately the state decides whether or not they can. My understanding is the state has said, no, you can't. Salt Lake County was basically creating new rules. The legislature was saying, wait, 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 there are laws against that, and now it sounds like they're trying to recodify to say, no, we really mean what we thought we said in the past.
1: So did Jenny Wilson think that she was going to be able to make this happen? Was this a way for her to assert her democraticness? I think
0: that the nuance of the discussion is that we're talking about something that goes on inside a county-owned building. So you're inserting uh, property, and you're inserting um, your ability to govern trade shows, and you're inserting a little different aspect of the law. I think we do have a law on the records that don't, as, as John s- w- said well, that they don't allow municipalities to make their own rules in this area, and their are arguments about local jurisdictions that I think are sometimes that uh, don't fall logic, but nonetheless, those are on the record. I think what Mayor Wilson, I think she is asserting a point of view. I mean, I think for sure she's taking the point of view that, that says, uh, uh, I-, I think she is asserting her democraticness. But I also think there's merit to saying, no, no, I'm not talking about, they didn't pass a statute. They passed rules and requirements for someone using a county building and the conditions around um, convention use. And I think traditionally the legislature has allowed the local jurisdictions to go into that area because there are safety measures and you know frankly it's a parsing of the law the legislature has done with private jurisdictions too when we've pitted gun rights and property rights against each other the the legislature has softened a little and acknowledged that there are property rights
1: all right. I want to get to a little good news here for a second. Uh, two T Rex thumbs up right now for the Utah Raptor State Park. That bill passed. So that will be happening. We talked about that. And then the daylight saving bill is actually headed to the governor's I'm sorry. Desk.
2: I'm sorry. Just you want to did, did, did it actually pass or did it just pass the House? I thought it passed oh, the House. It's it still in the Senate. Maybe it needs to. And I then it all still excited. has to get funded. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh. $10 million is a big, big price not for small, Not for, for big dinosaurs. dinosaurs. <laughs> they're, they're so Gone. <laughs> they are. They are. But we're, we're using, using them, them every back. day in our car. <laughs> no, I just sorry, Heidi. So I didn't excited. mean to you burst your that. bubble. But I fact check right here.
1: <laughs> fact checks are important. So all right, we got to wait for the ten million dollars for the. I'll t-rex give a shout out to
0: cheering it along in the Senate, though.
1: All right, we'll see how it goes. Uh, one thing that has passed though that's headed to the governor's desk is the daylight saving bill, which is exciting. I think when you say it for a sentence, but when. It Talk about it takes an act of Congress before it can happen, and then we've got to get four other states to do it. Did Utah, Mara, make a good choice in this that we could be the domino effect and everyone else will get on board too because they know that it does take a group of states, and now California and Nevada and Washington are going to be like –
0: Yes, I mean I think we are leading out, which I always like when we do. I it I, takes
2: federal action though.
0: I'm super, <laughs> I, and I'm also super selfish that I'm one of the small groups. that Likes the switch up. I like the seasons. I like the I like the day and night switching. Like and the then current. I like the season. I just I hate feel, changing the clock. But I feel selfish because of you know kids who it's disrupting. So I'll I'll look out for the the larger public good. But it is interesting to see what I what I haven't heard yet is if we're going to lobby our western state friends because it will take our western state yeah. friends and then and then the federal government. So look at us leading out.
1: All right, is the auditor's office talking about this, figuring out how you can talk to other states about how it's going to save them money, or no?
2: No, sorry we haven't, but this is one of those things. What is it the Indians used to laugh at the Americans? that They said, (laughs) hey, you're going to do daylight savings time. It's like taking a blanket and cutting off the top and putting it on the bottom to extend it.
0: You could always wake up or go to bed at a different time, too, if you really were attached to daylight savings. That's right. It but I do think
2: this is a good thing. Uh, Utah's not the only state that's pushing this. There are other states that are also pushing similar kind of compacts to say, hey, if we get the region to all want to shift, yeah. Congress should let us shift.
1: And I think Florida passed it a couple of years ago, but they're in the same boat until they get green neighbors in Congress to agree they're stuck.
2: But I do think daylight savings is the best way to compromise on this. It yeah. gives the wind to those that want the light in the summer and gives the not changing the clock to those that hate changing the clock.
1: A win-win. All right, we'll take a win here. Um, I don't know if everyone thinks this is a win, but Olympia Hills, um, if you don't know what that is, is a new subdivision, maybe daybreak-like, maybe not quite as much daybreak, but a large planned subdivision that'll go on the far west side of Harriman that literally butts up to the Ochre Mountains, which is crazy to think about because I remember being in like third grade and my parents moved us to 70th South and 2200 West. It was the farm. Yes. It was the middle of nowhere. We cried. We didn't want to be there. we
2: glad you made it to the big city. Finally. I know.
1: Finally, <laughs> right. right? And now it's just crazy to think we're building up against the ochres. But Mara, the real problem is if you live on the west side of the valley, there's no east-west freeway. There's gotcha. no 215 that will loop you around. It's a nightmare. Is this good planning because we're at least not urban sprawling and just letting neighborhoods go up and we've got a planned development or is it all a bad idea right now because we just don't have the infrastructure to get people in and out in case of emergencies or going to work or school?
0: It's both, right? I mean the, the planned community certainly has proven itself out in Daybreak. Daybreak, I will say we were lucky with Daybreak in that they were, they're the gold standard. They have done everything right. They've invested well. They understand the complexities um, and they built that out. So we were excited by that model. Planned communities are ter- this is about 6,000 units. Um, I know there's some density questions, but I feel like that's a change of life issue, and we have to start accepting our growth, and so we have to start accepting density. The one thing that I think is irresponsible about this, and um, I'm going to lay this at the feet of the county and not petitioning the state, because the state needs to participate as well, but as you said, we did not couple this with transportation solutions, and it's irresponsible of the government to move forward in this way. Now. Uh, they n- they need to pace with development. It's not the developer's faults that they're ready. This private property is ready to go, and I think the planning for this this um, development is is some smart planning. But unless we take care of traffic, our quality of life will go down. Our airshed is being impacted by this, and these are big and sh- uh, and heavy projects. But we know where the growth is going to go, and all of us right now, the east west connections, as you suggest, are woefully absent and so i do think it was irresponsible to move forward on this project and i'm putting that on the county council and the state Um, and saying to both of those, we know growth is coming in the Southwest. We know it's coming in Utah County. We know it's coming closer to Juab County. We know these things. And so we have to be looking at transportation solutions if we don't want to become California.
1: So let's talk to the auditor about this for a minute. So we always hear that the state's population is going to double by 2050. We've known it was growing. I built a house out by daybreak before daybreak was even built, and Bangor was out there. And even then at the early stage, I knew Bangor should have been a freeway. Bangor
2: is the reason I live in Utah County. Right. So I what? drove it three times. <laughs> right? seven. I ain't living in South Jordan. I know.
1: And so now they're trying to switch it over, which has been a nightmare, trying to make freeway on and off ramps. But it's a fast road and you've got lights. And I'm just wondering, is the planning really not there in the state? Do we not have the money to build, you know, the Bacchus Highway or everything else out there into freeways? What's the holdup? We know it's coming.
2: I'm going to say before 2003, the state was really behind the ball when it came to planning. You've seen since then, you've seen 2100 North in Lehigh. You've also seen Mountain View Corridor, where the state has acquired a wide swath of land. Yeah. And it's planned to expand and build into freeway quality roads out there. And so you've got that long-term plan now starting to go in place. But that's where you had new growth. You didn't already have homes and stuff like that. Salt Lake County, Mara is absolutely right. Salt Lake County is a disaster when you try and go east-west. North, south, okay. Mm -hmm. East, west, horrible. Daybreak, I think, was generally good, except for still east, west, coming out of daybreak into Salt Lake, the east, west is horrible when it comes to transportation. And when you look at this, Olympia Hills, that's one of the big challenges is what is the impact for transportation and what is that impact, not just to benefit uh, Olympia Hills, but what negative impact does that have on everybody else that already exists when you start taking their homes, expanding roads, other things like that. But you got to figure out, we've got to figure out as a state how to deal with those east-west things. The other challenge you have is when it comes to private property, we are very vague of what you can do with your private property. Now you've got the county rezoning for a higher density, my understanding, than any other development out there, which is going to bring all sorts of other challenges with it. And, yeah, the, the developer clearly has a an opportunity to come get that rezoned. But we have this lack of clarity about what one can actually do with their property property and how this rezoning takes place. I also think, unfortunately, I don't know as the counties are the best to deal with these kind of development activities. In Utah County, we basically say, you got to be a city. So you either have to incorporate join some other city when you're going to do a development like this because the county really can't handle those type that. of activities. I The county
0: in that instance tends to be the convener and tends to actually uh, vision further out than sometimes the municipality. So I do think it's a combination of municipal and state resources. Uh, the, uh, we've risen to the challenge before. So one of the things, we have a great UDOT. I mean, we really do have a nice Department of Transportation. Well, they've relatively. come a long
2: way in the past couple of decades. And
0: they're doing now long-term planning. So it's not like we don't have the agencies c- who can do this. But you also look at the remote remarkable work we did on mass transit. We were really far behind in mass transit and in a series of about 11 years we laid more track than any other state in the union in a I think it was a 10 year period and we really did well on mass transit. And then it seems as though I don't know we looked away and started doing short-term thinking again. And I know, I, I say that flippantly, I know it's because there's always a need list, right? It's not, yeah. it's, it, it, there's always a, a long list, but this is so directly tied to two th- things we care about, our air shed and our quality of life. And if we don't get transportation right, and if we don't invest in big time thinking, not short time thinking, because you look at those remarkable cities and they all have this backbone infrastructure that allows us to use alternatives and, um, and, and right now, we're failing to do that, particularly in our growth areas. Heidi, right. let me so share one on little I'll tidbit.
1: Ooh, I like tidbits. Olympia
2: Hills is that where the mining town of Lark, Utah used to exist.
1: That was Did Lark. Did you know that? Lark, no.
2: Utah, an old mining town. They kind should have called
1: it Lark. I know. That would they be cute. They should have kept that. That's nice. And then it brings up all other kinds of questions. We were talking about this in a meeting yesterday about if they're going to have the same problems being at the base of uh, – the copper mine there, daybreak, you can't plant food, produce, anything in your yard because of the contamination of the soil. Are they going to have those same issues out there against the mountains? So I think there's a lot of questions that come with they've it.
0: They've got soil questions. They've got water questions. I mean, these will be great new communities, but new communities have this whole set of rearranging resources and experience that the older established communities And one of
2: the have. challenges with growth clearly is a lot of the growth is coming from our kids and our grandkids. They want to live here. They think it's beautiful. There's other folks that are retiring, that are moving back to where they grew up, and then there's lots of folks that are finding out how beautiful Utah is, and they want to be a part of it.
0: And not to prolong this discussion, I just want to not vilify the word density either, because people have these... Density,
2: density, density. Density.
0: And we're attributing these things to density. But what we need to remember is density also means the grandparent that wants to stay close to the grandkids but don't want to mow their lawn. It means people who don't want to be dependent on acreage and are putting other values in place. So density does not mean to be negative things. It can mean strong socioeconomic conditions. It can mean cohesive um, and, and diverse uh, communities. It can mean really that old-fashioned sense of neighborhoods. Density can mean wonderful things to what we do in the world.
2: It just oftentimes means lots of traffic.
1: Yeah,
0: It sometimes does, but done well. And, and again, as we've described, with the resources of having nice public transit, it doesn't mean that.
1: They could build some high-rises right against the ochres right there so people could work and not leave. Mm -hmm. That would be great. We always say that because we're like, we build Daybreak and we're like, they'll work and live here. If you work at Fizz or maybe someplace else, you work and live there. But most people are going to have to go to the office buildings to work. Um, Super Tuesday is just around the corner, which is exciting. And I'm sad that I'm going to be on vacation because I love a good election. (laughs) But, um, have you voted already? I have voted in my jammies at the countertop. I don't know why it takes people so long. If you're still making your decisions, then I get that because we've had a democratic debate just barely. That if you're finally, you know, just really trying to hunker down and figure out clearly, just vote
2: Bernie. That's what everybody's doing. That's right.
1: right. All the cool kids are doing it. But I thought it was interesting if you're going to mail
2: in your ballot, mail it in Monday. It's got to be postmarked Monday.
1: It is true. Although, if you wait that long, I prefer, just so we can get the numbers counted, just go drop it at a drop box, because exactly. if not, it's like a week or two later. And um, Can you I, say Iowa? Iowa, <laughs> yes. We don't want to be Iowa. But Salt Lake County voter turnout, I actually thought was sort of okay, 29% a week out. Uh, 331,000 ballots mailed out. 95,000 had been returned. But that means, I don't know if it's because people aren't going to vote or if they're still making up their minds, Mara. Have you been listening to every Democratic debate, trying to figure out who your guy or gal is? Or have you made up your mind and mailed in Yes, as well? Mara.
2: inquiry minds well, want to know.
1: Well, I have made up my mind. I did attempt to watch
0: most of the debates. But if I'm going to be honest with everybody, Chopped had a viewer gets to choose the ingredients, and that is pretty stiff competition <laughs> against the Democratic debate. So I, I may have moved to the Food Network. But I think it, you know... <laughs> I, I think other it, <laughs> places to research. The so debate. I <laughs> suffered alone. No, I, I, well, no, the recap's all you need anymore. Right. So I, you know, I think there is some momentum around this. I think super Tuesday is intended to shake things up. I think it's the first real bellwether test of many of these campaigns and you're going to see big moves, um, making it, you know, one thing that's curious about Utah is a reminder. So a different, a different day, a different measure, but in 2016 when we held the democratic caucus with, our friend Bernie and Hillary Clinton. Remember, Bernie got almost 80% of the vote. Yeah, it was huge. It was enormous. I mean, it was rock star, big, you know, Romney presidential numbers. Yeah. And so uh, I, I... because Utah struggled
2: with Clintons. He, We've th- we, cl- struggled we with the Clintons for decades. decade. Struggle
0: and, and that's a good point. And so it's an interesting thing to see now that you have many other choices, including Michael Bloomberg coming in big. This is his first test of of um, getting delegates' votes counted for him as Super Tuesday. I think we are going to see a big turnout. I think people have been grabbing and and mailing in and and making their choices.
1: Um, Before we let John have a turn, do you have a call of who the three top two are? The top three will be after we make it out of Super Tuesday. I don't think we can keep debating with seven people. I think Super Tuesday is going to weed people out. You know, I think
0: you have to acknowledge Sanders.
2: (laughs) Tulsi, is she going to be there?
0: (laughs) Hey, now. I like her. She's got a point of view. I like Um, her a lot. uh, (laughs) Bernie's got some (laughs) mojo for whatever reason. I think we cannot deny it. It's because he's Trump, right? Like potato, potato for me. But uh, I think, Bernie, I think there's uh, some calculus that Bloomberg will be in play still. Um, and I think, you know, Buttigieg is still continuing to eke out those numbers. And so that's just like a numbers race that's not a profile. Well,
2: remind ahead. us right now, Ben McAdams has endorsed, is it Bloomberg?
0: I think that's right. He and, did then, and then, Bloomberg. And then
2: um, uh, Mayor Wilson and Mayor uh, Buttigieg. Mendenhall. Buttigieg. Buttigieg, yeah.
1: Right, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out.
2: So show up, vote, do what you have to do. We've got 14 states. Fourteen states for Super Which Tuesday. Is and remember,
0: any of you listening can vote. the The Democrats have an open uh, primary.
1: That's right. And I think if you didn't order a ballot, didn't come to your house, you can still show up in person Walk and do on your voting. In. Yeah, they're you happy know, to have you. Get, so a, get a sticker. Get a sticker. That's what I miss about voting at my kitchen countertop. So
2: you don't get a sticker?
1: No, they should have to mail bring it in your ballot. I, oh, you have I one got,
2: in Utah County. We get the sticker. It comes in the mail.
1: That's it. That's
0: nice. That is nice. Very nice. is nice? I don't our, know how much that new, costs. but Our new yeah. clerk auditor knew <laughs> yeah, that was something If that's something how you popular. guys want to
1: spend your tax dollars. But that is nice. It is fun. And it gets maybe other people out to vote on voting day. I don't know how much it makes a difference when we can vote on many days. Um... Bernie Sanders is making a final stop, though. I just want to mention if people want to go see him on the eve of Super Tuesday, so that's happening. Um, So get out. Rock the vote, people. And before we go, we only have a couple of minutes left, but I want to talk about this real quickly. We're going to have to tackle it on another day to get deeper into this. But um, the state auditor's office, they have a press release. I don't know if you've seen this, John.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Tell, Tell me about it. Tell me. You know, sometimes those sneak by, but this is... I know, is, the this transportation. Is
1: about, this is a big topic where we could take a half an hour, but I do want to talk about this for a minute right now. Tell us what the press release is about.
2: The press release is basically highlighting challenges with the gas tax. From my perspective, the gas tax is dying, and when we talked tax reform last year, the fundamental challenge was really the dying gas tax. We're using sales tax to prop up transportation funding, but that was supposed to be a temporary two- to three-decade kind of transition as we find another funding source. But with greater fuel efficiency... I drive an electric vehicle, so I bypass the taxing mechanism at the pump. The key question for Utahns is how do we want to pay for the highway infrastructure that we expect? All the roadways that Mara just described, the east-west corridors, including the freeway, everything else, how do we want to pay for that when, you know, the gas tax just is not going to get the job done? And right now when people go, well, we should just increase the gas tax. Well, right now if you're going to increase the gas tax, you're going to more than double it. You're going to increase it. It's currently about $0.31 a gallon. You're going to take it and increase it by 35 to $0.40 a gallon. So who wants to pay $0.70 a gallon? And then the EVs, the electric vehicles, will still bypass that mechanism. As, as
0: painful as this is for me to close with this, this is some excellent thinking by the auditor's office, and uh, it really... That was painful. <laughs> wow. I love you, no, too. No, I just, <laughs> This is some really good thinking, and, it, and and what it does well is use data to drive the policy decision and not just um, sound bites and things that sound good in the short run. I mean, again, it's... As, as John has said in the past, the stopgap measures are different than long-term thinking. And you could manipulate and use as a stopgap measure the, the gas tax, but it is not long-term solution thinking. And so, um, you know, I would, I would say to those, not only is the press release good, but the data behind the thinking of it is excellent.
1: And so what is the fix, then, if it's not um, raising the prices at the pump? How do we pay for our roads?
2: So there's different scenarios out there. There is one that's called congestion pricing, which is kind of like the hot lane you see on the freeway today where the price goes up when there's greater demand and it goes down when there's less demand. And we, we toll every, let's say, freeway that way. There's another scenario which is called the VMT or the vehicle miles traveled where you just pay a flat fee like, you know, two cents a mile for every mile you drive. And some folks say, well, just look at your odometer once a year and you'll just report, here's how many miles you went this year times this rate for the VMT. Others say we should just move away from user fees and we should just do some type of broad-based tax, and that just ignores what the users are doing and just says we think this is a public good that we all should just fund with a general tax.
1: Like education.
2: Like education, and we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. I personally fall in the line where I think user fees, where the users dictate much more here's their use and what they're willing to pay for. And if they're not willing to pay for it, then we need to consider why are we even doing it.
1: We can also combine some of those solutions, which is interesting as well. All right. Um, I think these are good things. Amara, we've got to talk about women. I know we're, like, out of time, but we're going to do it really quickly. Uh, Women in politics, we felt like we were making some good progress a couple of years ago, but maybe it was too soon that we're celebrating?
0: We're making great strides. I just want to give this as a shout-out to my Republican female friends.
1: There are so Mara many strong... has Republican female friends. Mark day. it
0: on so, the calendar. So <laughs> many strong females in this state um, who are happen to be Republican. But Republican women are performing at a much lower level in terms of getting elected than their democratic colleagues.
2: Cuz I was going to say they're performing quite well in the legislature. Right I now mean, we Center have a high Henderson. water mark.
0: We have a high water mark of 26 women in our legislature of 104, but only 10 of those are Republicans sixteen of them are women and if you look at their pools that they 're drawing from they 're really disproportionately underrepresented so this is not a shout out no this is this is not a notice to criticize Republicans not having strong women in fact they have many many strong articulate ready to go women this is a call to action particularly for the conservative side of the scale saying, why are you not running? Because when you run, you're getting elected. And when you're elected, uh, you're being effective and you are making a difference. And we're having more and more women elected. But I don't think the feeding tube right now is big enough for the Republicans because the the, um, Democrats are outperforming them uh, significantly, decade in, uh, decade out. In
2: terms of elections. But when it comes to performance in the legislature, I mean, I'd like to point out Senator Henderson... Senator Milner, you get over in the legislature in the House, and you've got Representative Coleman, yeah. Representative Pulsifer, this is Representative Lisenby, qu- and so forth. This is not a question of quantity or quality. Yeah, they, this they is they a question of some, quantity. They are doing some heavy lifting in the legislature and really making things happen. I'd
1: be interested to know if it maybe is a cultural thing here in Utah if maybe more conservative women are stay-at-home moms and uh, CEOs of their family and more maybe. I would be interested to know the difference between how many Democrats and Republican women work and if maybe more of the um, – Working women are the ones who end up running and to, have that. to wrap up
0: the data too yeah. tightly to make it too simplified. One of the things we know from studying culturally is that um, more conservative women are often uh, uh, waiting to, uh, to have permission to to say it when you way. have our permission and, and exactly that's what I say today. You have the permission, so just. Sign, pay the 35 bucks. you know, register, because you're, you Republicans are showing well. Women are showing oh, well. But step, there's yeah, not I'll enough Republican women running right now.
1: It's true. And if you are a stay-at-home mom and you don't feel like you have the business, I say that is a business. You run a lot of things. You know a whole lot. And if you're your not sure if you
0: have the experience, intellect, or authority to run, I'm just going to tell you to go on the legislative website, listen to a couple of uh, committee hearings, <laughs> and you'll feel so much you're better about go. your ability to hold your own in this forum.
1: All right, well, uh, ladies, let's get out there. Everyone rock the vote, and thank you so much for being with us. I will not be here next week, but we will still have a podcast talking about what happens in the election, so I'll be excited to come back and uh, chat with you guys about it. So thanks so much for being with us for another week of Take Two.